Pastor Jared has uh, he he asked me he, he asked me if he could preach this week. Said he's got something the Lord has been laying on his heart. Um, it is a, it's a privilege to be able to serve you uh, as pastor. I will mention this because in passing, this today, honey, I forgot we didn't talk oh, about this. It's your day. Twelve year anniversary at Warsaw Assembly of God. Wow! Congratulations. Twelve years. So. Um, we're excited about that, and I'm not even preaching. Not even. Get the we're day off. We're excited about that, but we're also excited about what the future God has in store for us all. Same with God. Okay, Thank Pastor Jared, it's all yours. All right. Well, I, I, like Dad said, I, th- I've been working on this particular message for a couple of years, and last night, even last night, I, I went to Megan. And I'm like, Megan, this is very hard for me to preach, uh, but I think it's so important. Uh, and you'll ca- as we get into it, you'll realize this is my heart, but it's hard. I have asked the kids to stay in here just for a few moments, and then we'll dismiss them. So excuse the chaos. Zach, would you come up here real quick? Um, I think if you know Zachary very well at all, uh, you don't have to know him. Actually, you don't have to know him well at all to know he likes football. He, has stopped, he will stop seven or eight random strangers in the store and ask who their favorite football team is every time we go. It's awful. Yesterday, I went to Hy-Vee, and he stood and talked to uh, one of the managers at Hy-Vee for over 20 minutes. <laughs> about the Vikings because he's a Vikings fan and you know the thing about Zach and his love for football or even his love for the Vikings is uh I I enjoy football don't get me wrong I'll I'll watch a game here or there but to be honest uh I am not a super fan I am I am a yeah I'm a fan of football but but very casual where Zachary Zachary is not a casual Fan. He wears this around the house. He wears this. I mean, like, he loves the game. He knows stats and statistics. He can tell you who the quarterback for the Vikings was in 1999. Yeah, and how long did he play? Thank you. He can tell you things he knows about uh, Fran Tarkington, who played years before, even I, I think he played before I was born. And, and he knows all these things. And Zachary's love for football didn't come just from me. Zachary's love for football came from a variety of influences in his life. The, his grandpa, who loves football more than I do, but is still not a super fan. His soon-to-be uncle Tyler, who just fills his head with all this junk. Uh, people at church, uh, Dave, he loves to hassle you about the Packers. He loves to give Nick Capaldo a hard time about the Chiefs. He loves harassing Uncle Brent about the stinking Raiders. He, he loves coming to church and talking football with you guys. And here's the thing about Zachary's love for football. Zachary's love for football is a community effort. We, we all are responsible for that. Now I'm going to ask Zachary, you just step back here. I need nine other kids to join him on the stage. So Eric, why don't you come up here? Just nine kids. Come up here. Hannah, Michaela. Abby, come on! It's, uh, you don't have to. You don't have to do any dancing. Abe's up here. How many we got? Not Josh. We're, we're gonna let Violet stay because t- Violet's gonna classify as a teenager this morning. Two, four, six, seven. I want you guys to make a line. I need three more kids. Come on up here, Christine. I knew I could count on you. Alex, you want to come up here and help me? Oh, come on! We gotta have one more kid who can come up on the stage. Right? Two, four, six, eight, nine. Clementine in the back. The rest are in the nursery. All right. Rhett, Rhett, will you help me, buddy? No, not going to do it. All right, that's all right. We'll, we'll just pretend. We'll pretend that the point will still be made uh, very uh, in just a moment here. Um, today we're talking about faith that lasts. And 
I brought 10 kids up here today because I want to ask you a question. Zachary, I want you to stand right here because everyone needs to look. I want you to look at their faces. I want you to look at these kids and I want you to, to look at their, enjoy their personalities for a moment. And now I want you to pick three of those kids to go to hell. Uh, that escalated quickly. Uh, I want you to look at the faces of these kids and pick three of them to go to hell. And, and, I, and I'm serious. I'm serious because the, uh, you know this would be impossible task for me to look at these kids. Some of them are my own. Some of them are relatives. And some of them have just come to love just because they come to our church. But to, to say, say, oh, you three, yeah, if I had to pick, I'm sending you guys to hell. It's an impossible task. You guys, can go to, you guys can go to the back now after that depressing. You guys can go to the back. No one's going to hell. You're all going to kids' church. That illustration, that illustration this morning, uh, that I, I've been wrestling with that for years, and here's why. The reality the reality of the world we live in, statistics have taught us. There's a group called the Barna Research Group that has done uh, year after year, they do all these studies about church kids and evangelicals specifically. And we find that three out of 10 kids who go to church as a child will completely abandon their faith in their teenage years or adulthood. Now, that says nothing of the kids who don't even go to church and how many of them are going to hell. That's specifically that out of 10 kids who come to our church for a season or for their entire childhood even, out of 10 of those kids, three of them will completely abandon their faith. But it's worse than that. Less than half of them by the time they're teenagers, less than half of them will admit to being committed to their Christian faith. And not only that, uh, a third of them as teenagers will admit or only a third of them as teenagers will say that they plan to continue going to church once their parents no longer make them. 33% of kids that are in our church right now are, by the time they're teenagers, will be planning their exit strategy. And it's even worse than that because there's three of them that will completely and totally abandon their faith. But the reality is out of the 10 kids that come to our church on any given week, only three of them will stay committed to their faith. The other seven, three of them will completely walk away. Those other four will be marginally involved or casually involved. They may claim to be Christians, but the evidence in their life isn't really there. And as you and I well know, it takes a lot more than saying you're a Christian to be one. And so we have a crisis in the American church. And we have to figure out what are we going to do about it. And I think we can make a difference. I believe we really can change the tide of generations, but I think it takes all of us. And so this morning, I've, I've kind of unpacked some of this. Proverbs 22, verse six is a very popular verse. It says this, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And easier said than done, right? First of all, it doesn't say teach 
them. It says train them. And training is, a, is a more of an action verb. It, teaching is just like I reconvey information. But training is actually a process. When you train for the Olympics, you don't just sit in class all day and learn about a bobsled. While that is important information if you're Jamaican. But you don't just sit in class all day and learn about the mechanics of swimming. If you're Michael Phelps, you don't win all those gold medals because you know the most about swimming. No, it's because he spends every day hours and hours and hours swimming, and then he eats a billion calories. Lucky guy, right? But then he's got to swim all day to, to, to in order. So I mean, I'll take the trade off. But training is an important, important uh, thing. We, we don't just tell kids about their faith, but we have to train them in the faith. Uh, when it comes to research on this topic, I've talked about Barna Research Group, but, but an, uh, another person, his name is David Boyd. David Boyd wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago called uh, Strong Enough to Last, and he took the Barna Research Group. He combined it with his 30-plus years of min- ministry to children, and he has written a really great guide for both parents and church leaders of raising up a generation of children that don't abandon their faith. David Boyd is uh, our director, the national director of BGMC, so you may have, may have heard his name before. Uh, he served as a children's pastor prior to his role at, at the BGMC offices. He was a kid who did not come from a Christian family, and one day a bus rolled into his neighborhood, and it was a church bus, and they said, hey, all you kids, get on, and he had him and his brothers and sisters pile onto this bus. And through the course of their life, they had this church invested in them to the point where uh, he's the national director of BGMC, which, I think about it, this is a bus kid. This is a kid who grew up with non-Christian parents. So he wrote this book, and, and I'm going to be pulling a lot from, from his research and things today. But also, I want you to take a, just a quick look with me. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are multiple stories, not just one. Not one isolated instance. There are multiple stories of Israelite youths being ripped from their homes and placed into cultures that adamantly opposed them. Uh, it, you have Joseph sold into slavery in Egypt from the time he was a young boy, growing up his, all of his formative years and his adulthood in Egypt, yet staying strong in his faith. You have his ancestor, Moses, who's brought up in the household of an Egyptian pharaoh, schooled in all of the classic arts of Egyptian stuff, who keeps his faith in the one true God. You have Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, which it's always odd to me that Daniel is his Hebrew name, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their, their Babylonian names. Uh, so Belteshazzar was Daniel's Babylonian name. Uh, and uh, Mish- ah, I can't even remember them off the top of my head. I normally can, but, but Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were the Babylonian equivalent of Hitler youth. You have to understand, they were, they were forcibly taken from their home because when, when the soldiers of Babylon came into their village, they were like, mm, those four boys, they are fit, they're strong, they look smart, we'll take them. And they just take them out of their homes, they take them to the kingdom of Babylon, they teach them all the Babylonian customs, the laws, the, the religions, and all of these things. Yet when these young men are faced with the, the, the choice of either bowing down to a false god or being thrown into a fiery furnace, when they're faced with the choice of, of praying to the, the king, or praying to God, or be thrown into a lion's den, that all four stand firm in their faith. Esther, Esther's taken out of her home. She, her, she's basically raised by her uncle. She's taken out of her home, married off to a Persian king, and she has to decide, will I stand firm in my, in my faith, 
Now, what is it about all of these individuals that, how many of you realistically, if you had been taken from your home at five years old or six years old and raised up in another culture, think you would still hold true to all the heritage of your, of your parents? You probably would have adapted to the culture. But there was something so deeply rooted in these individuals, so just ingrained in them that no amount of education and no amount of, of false idol worship around them could change who they were. And I think it's because the, the Jewish people had a very good system of raising up their young people, at least when it worked, at least when they did it. And so um, we're going to take a look at, at some of that alongside of, of uh, Pastor Boyd's research. How do we, we in modern America raise kids with faith so deeply ingrained in them that when they are thrust into an often hostile world of non-Christian ideals that claim to be morally superior, they are able to stand firm. Barner's research teaches us, within Barner's research and then Boyd's book, uh, we find that the kids who grow through their teenage years into adulthood and maintaining their faith, there were often four major uh, variables in place. In, in all the now granted not all of these have to be in place in fact we know kids who are raised with no christian influence that get saved into adulthood but our best chance of raising godly children into godly adults is when these four things are in place faith at home three or more spiritual mentors they're involved in the ministry at a young age and they go to a cool church we're going to unpack each of these First of all, faith at home. I cannot, overstate, I cannot overstate the importance of this fact. In fact, I would say this is the number one most important thing in all this research. Faith at home. Deuteronomy 6, 9 tells us this. It's Moses speaking to the people. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. I, I think of this and I think of like, like clay when it's still soft and malleable. Uh, if you would press an imprint, impress something into that and then it would when it hardens and dries, that, that impression will stay with it forever. Kids are, are, are soft and malleable. They're, they're impressionable. And it's important that even at a young age, we impress the commandments of God on them so that when they grow old and crackly, like so many of us, those impressions still last. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. Here's the prescription. It's almost, it's almost too good to be true because he basically tells you what to do, parents. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, we drive in cars. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do not, parents, under any circumstances, advocate your resp spiritual responsibility over to the church. What do we get with your child? Let's be realistic. An hour every couple of weeks, if you're really committed, maybe three hours in a week. And you expect us to to be able to impress things in your kids that'll last them for their whole lives? I'm sorry, I ain't Jesus. I will do my best with those hours that you give me. I promise you that. That's my commitment to you. But don't expect me to erase 50, 60, 70 hours of poor parenting. I'm sorry I said it. But I'm serious. Now, obviously, some kids are gonna come to us from ungodly homes, and we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that. But if you claim to be a Christian, it's your responsibility to raise your kids. Talk about it when you're sitting at home. What is God saying to you? What do you mean? God talks to us? Oh, didn't they teach you that at church? No, I wasn't there this week. Talk about it at home. When you lay your kids down, 
Read them a story, but don't forget to talk about a Bible story at least once in a while. Get you a good children's Bible. I can recommend a handful of them to you. Uh, get a good children's Bible. Read a Bible story. My kids were flipping out the other day because I read from the actual Bible and not from the story Bible. Dad, that's not my Bible. Like, but you can understand now. You're getting older. You can understand this story. Uh, talk about him when you're in the car. Quit cranking the booty music and talk about Jesus a little bit. And it doesn't always have to be God. I mean, it could just be like godly principles. Like, hey, have you had a chance to show patience this week? Uh, we, we teach and we, we try to make as available what we're teaching in the kids' church so that you can go. This month we're talking about self-control. So you can say when your kid's having a, a hissy fit, what did you learn about on Sunday at church? Self-control? Mm. Are you doing that right now? My kid, I'm telling you what, the first time we did it, the first lesson we did on self-control, came home and Zach was struggling with something. He's like, Dad, I'm trying to show self-control. Talk about it with your kids when they lie down, when they get up in the morning. I, I tell you what, I pray for my kids every day on the way to school, every day. Now, I know some of you don't have the, the luxury of being able to take your kid to school and pray with them. The, the car ride is a lot shorter now than it used to be, and so I have to pray a little quicker, but, but we, uh, we don't turn on the radio. I just, I just have just enough time to pray over them, but... I am not going to let my kids go to school without a prayer. When I'm out of town for ministry things, I call my kids before school and I pray with them because that is a value. That's, that's important to me that their day starts off with God's blessings and promises over them. And it's usually a very simple prayer, um, but it's important to me. And I want to encourage you guys to look for opportunities. It doesn't have to be in my schedule. That works for us. But, but you have a different schedule, but do it at the dinner table. Whatever it is that works in your family, Establish some routines, but, but don't talk about basketball and football and schoolwork and all these things and give them this high priority place in your home. And at seven o'clock on Tuesday nights, we watch this show. We never miss an episode, but we never talk about Jesus. I'm, I'm telling you guys, I'm not perfect. I, we, we don't always get it right, okay? We probably get it wrong as much as or more than we get it right. But intentional parenting is the only way we're going to raise godly kids. Faith at home, it, has to, it, it starts off as your faith that you model, they pick it up. And I can only hope for each of us that our kids take our faith the way Zachary has taken my enjoyment of football. I enjoy football. Kid loves it. He's zealous for football. And if he takes my love of Jesus and is that zealous for his faith when he's an adult, watch out world. Watch out, world, because if we raise a generation of kids who love Jesus as much as Zach loves football, we're going to raise a group of world changers. The second key uh, is spiritual mentors. Listen to me, church. We cannot, under any circumstances, abdicate our responsibility to raise godly children to the parents alone. The first institution God created to spread his message was the family on day six. But the second institution that God established to spread his gospel, and the one that Jesus reestablished as the church, is the church. He established a faith community and said, you guys are responsible not just for your own children, but for all of the children. We have a responsibility. We, not me. No, you're the pastor. No, I did not sign up for that. We as a church 
have a responsibility to every single child that walks through our doors, whether the parents come with them or not. Whether those parents are doing their spiritual duties or not. No matter what, we have to invest in the next generation. There is no greater mission in the world. I love our missionaries. They're all called all around the world to all kinds of different things. And I think almost every single one of them would agree with me what I'm about to say. There is no greater mission in the world than to the children of this world. And since you and I do not have access to the children of Africa and France and Asia except through our missionaries, then our responsibility are the children we do have access to. And as a church, they're the ones who walk through our doors. Debbie, you have a responsibility to the kids that come to your daycare, and I know you recognize that responsibility. You, each of you have interactions with different kids, and you have a responsibility to them. Mom, how many preschoolers do you have access to that you are responsible for spiritually as a member of the church? And I recognize in a public institution, we are limited, but we still are called to, to model an example of faith. Uh, according to research, from the Barna Group, and I'm telling you, this stuff is good. It's, it's very well, very well done. It's, it's a well-respected research firm. Uh, most children who, most adults who claim to be a Christian made that decision of faith before their 12th birthday. I mean, we're talking like <laughs> the odds of me as a children's pastor having a kid pray a prayer of salvation and actually growing into an adult that serves the Lord and me as a youth pastor doing it, it's like 90% to 3%. By the time they hit 13, they've already decided what they believe. I know it's like, what? No, 12-year-olds don't know what they believe about the world. Pretty hard to change after that point. I'm just, I, I wish it wasn't. Most of our missionaries that are on the field within the Assemblies of God, they were called to missions before they were 12 years old. A strong number of our pastors serving in Assemblies of God churches and beyond, outside other denominations recognize this as well, made a decision, felt God calling them to ministry before their 12th birthday. I give you one guess as to how old I was when I felt Jesus tell me that I was going to serve children the rest of my life as a minister. 12. I was 12 years old. And I was doing puppets. And I came home and I said, Mom, I feel like I, feel like I could do that the rest of my life. And what I meant was I could help at my church. And, and she's like, like a children's pastor? And it was like, it, it was the clearest I've ever seen anything. Uh, it was just... I knew in that moment that was, that was what I was going to do the rest of my life. And that's what I did. And that's what I've done for 21 years. Uh, I sometimes worry, though, if God had called me any later, I would have been too busy to hear him. I always wonder, like, why did you call me so young, God? I, was, I couldn't even. And I always, sometimes I wonder, like, maybe I would have missed it. I'm so thankful he called me when he did. Listen, these kids come to our church and they need you. They need you to show them what a godly marriage looks like. They need you to show them how godly parents raise their children. They need to hear another adult say that they have value and not just their parents or their pastor. We're expected. You, they expect their parents to say, you're a good kid, I love you. They expect their pastor to say, you're a good kid, I love you because that's what, that's what pastors and parents do. But when a random person in the church comes up and says, I love you, kid, you barely know me, but I see something special in you. I, I, I'm telling you, it will resonate in them. It will change them. How many lives have been changed by a few words spoken by a trusted adult? Billions. Uh, they, they, you know what else? They need you to see. They need to be able to see in, within the context of church people whose lives were a mess and God used and God still uses them God still values you listen guys uh, 
I knew Dirk before he was a Christian. And there, is, there are a few things in this world that show me God's transformative power better than a man who invested in my life as a Christian that I knew before he was. Because I saw what God can do. I saw a man who didn't, my parents would not, did not want to hang out with. Become one of their best friends and a spiritual mentor of mine. Because I went to church and because Dirk invested in me. Because I was allowed to see Dirk's mess in light of God's redeeming power. I had, uh, as a kid, from the day, I first time I ever came to church, Carol and Dorothy Dawson, who are our nursery workers in that church, invested in my life. Uh, people who, who spent time telling me I had value, and not just my leaders who were, who were wonderful, but people who invested in my life. And I tell you, when I went to church, I felt, I, I felt cool. I showed up at church, people, people loved me. And I was an annoying brat at times. But people loved me. And that feeling, I still, when I step into my church that I grew up in, I still feel that way. It's like I walk through the doors and all those emotions come back. Um, I want our kids, when they're grown up, to walk in this church and feel that. And feel that. These kids, their relationship with Christ or their relationship with Christ is radically influenced by their relationship with you. And again, I'm not talking about if you serve in children's ministry. This is not a children's ministry training. This is a challenge to the church at large. Their relationship with Jesus will be influenced by their relationship with Jesus's people. That's your responsibility. That's your responsibility. I ask you a question. What child in this church have you invested in recently? Instead of rushing out of church as soon as we say amen, when was the last time you stopped and talked to a child and asked them about their life? You want to make an impact in the world? It's that simple. It's that simple. Zoe, I saw, and is she here today in the back? Yeah, I saw on Facebook, Beth said, I'm looking forward to one of my Zoe hugs. If you haven't given Zoe a hug, if you haven't warmed up to her yet, or if she hasn't warmed up to you, uh, you gotta wait for that. You gotta work it. But once she gives you that hug, that first time it's unasked for. She just walks up, it's just gonna melt your heart. Um, but it's important. Uh, the third thing I'm gonna tag off of the mentors. Kids need, they need two or three or more spiritual mentors, okay? So even if dad and I do a great job of mentoring the kids of this church, they need another one. They need somebody else. And I don't think pastors count in this. I really don't. I, I hate to say it. I wish I could. But I think they need three non-pastors, non-parents to invest in their lives, at least occasionally. Um, the next thing, I, I put them out of order because it tags right off of this, is kids need a cool church. They need a cool church. Uh, I, I, it's a little bit tricky because I know what we kind of think of maybe when we think of cool church. Um, I'll admit that a large part of creating a cool church for kids, that responsibility does fall on me. That's, that is what I'm paid for. I think we work really hard to create a fun environment for our kids in this church. Um, if, you, if you take a look back there, you'll see we've invested time and energy and money. Um, but being a cool church is, is so much more than a fun decorations or even uh, catchy games and things. Uh, 
things like when kids talk about their cool church, they talk about good music, good messages, fun. Those are definitely a part of it. But one of the key components that kids mentioned when talking about their cool church was relationships with people. Kids need relationships with other kids. Listen, can I just, I'm just going to tag here. I got a little bit of time so I can. Uh, I bring my kids to church every week, every single week. Um, I'm glad to do it. I'm, I'm so thankful that I have a church to bring my kids to. But when they're the only ones there, how much fun are they having? How much, how much fun are, you guys, I think everybody in here, if I said, who expects pastor's kids to be at church, you'd all raise your hand. Yeah, absolutely expect the pastor's kids to be at church. Uh, but if they're the only ones who show up, how much fun are they going to have? Really? They need you guys. This is where I can't bring, I, I can't bring your kids to church. I try bringing, we try bringing friends. It's hard. It's hard. You guys know this, but my kids need your kids, parents, grandparents. My kids need you because I want my kids to grow up saying, yeah, I went to a cool church. My dad was a pastor. He was lame, but the church was cool. When, uh, they need relationships with other kids and with adults. When I was growing up, people in church loved me. I was looking for this earlier. I couldn't find it. Here it is. Uh, they treated me well. I loved going to church. Uh, my Sunday school teachers, I had a variety of them. My grandma was my Sunday school teacher for a long time. And I wouldn't trade that relationship for anything. Um, she was my favorite Sunday school teacher. If you ever ask me who my favorite Sunday school teacher is, I'll tell you. It was my grandma. Um, uh, Sister Nancy, my, our, Nancy Spain was our pastor's wife. And she saw something in me as a, as a that I thought of uh, first or second grade, probably a second grader. And she said, Jared, have you ever heard of junior Bible quiz? I'm like, I don't know, what is this? And she's like, oh, you're gonna love it. And she sits me down at this buzz quizzer thing. And she teaches me to memorize all these questions and Bible verses and, and all these facts and figures about the Bible. It changed the course of my life. It absolutely changed who I am as a person. I learned more about the Bible. It was, it's amazing what I know. And, and, and it's not because I, I'm so smart. It's because somebody took week after week after week to invest in my life and made it fun and said, we're going to go compete against other kids to see who's the smartest. Which, if you know nerdy little Jared, it was like, yes! I loved it. I loved it. In fact, if you go to the National Assemblies of God website right now and go to Junior Bible Quiz and you look up Gold Seal, uh, you will find Jared Massey in the list. The high, at the time, it was the highest award you could receive in, in Junior Bible Quiz. Um, I'm very proud of that award uh, because it meant something to me. And still, because Nancy saw something in me. She, we, we'd, go, we'd go stay, we'd go all over the state of Illinois to compete in these things. We'd stay the night in these, on the floor of these grungy churches. Anybody would let us stay there, you know, because we couldn't drive at all in the morning. And, and, but she invested in me and my friends, my family members. People invested in me. And I'm so grateful for them. I'm absolutely the man I am today because of every single person that walked through the doors of my church and took the time to talk to me. And the kids in our church will be men and women someday who are gonna be impacted by you. And I'm just asking you, are you having any impact? Are you having enough? The last thing I'm bring, uh, of the four is this. Kids whose faith lasts into adulthood and beyond are kids who are involved from a young age in the, in the church. 
I'm going to be really real. Guys, I, I believe so strongly in this message that I am not afraid to say anything for fear of offending somebody today because this is the critical mission and this is a critical moment. I try very hard to get people involved in this church and sometimes I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle. When I was growing up, my parents volunteered me for things. I was rarely asked, hey, do you think this sounds like fun? Is this something you want to do? No. Hey, Jared, guess what you're doing this week? What? Oh, you're going to love it. Am I really? Uh, I talked like that up until I was about 18. (laughs) I'm grateful for Saturday nights heading up to the church to pick out the transparencies, which was this old school way before we had projectors. (laughs) Picking out the transparencies from the list of worship songs. I had to get those out. And organizing the ones from last week. You'll you'll know if you look at our worship music bin, you'll see that those skills that I learned did not translate into my adult life. Because I now hate organizing music. But, But I did it faithfully for year after year after year. I was, I was faithful because my parents made sure I was involved and active. I'm telling you, my grandma, my, my grandma, my dad's mom, uh, they, the, the, the Sunday school stuff used to come with these pamphlets. And every week there was like a reader. And they were all individual. However they came, they all came like, like 13 weeks worth in one stack. And so you would go and separate them out by week. Okay, and, and we would do this once a quarter. My grandma was a Sunday school superintendent. She'd, we got the, the material and we'd go, you know, get another one. At every communion Sunday, boy, you bet you, bet you I had the tallest communion cup tower. I was running through the pews. I got to get all the communion cups. The tallest tower. I, back in my day, we didn't get the leftover grape juice. We got the dirty communion cups. Josh did. Oh, I see how it is. Listen, uh, Megan Knott, Aaron Lukey, Brianna Newland, Kenzie Massey, those four names, you all know these ladies. Uh, each of them served in this church when they were teenagers or even younger. Uh, three of them still serve this church, and one of them married a pastor and serves another church. I firmly believe they are where they are because of all the factors we've talked about. But one key among those four is that they helped out a lot. They were servants. Parents, if your child or teenager does not have a job at this church that they take ownership for, you should be blowing up my phone or knocking down my door asking for a list of jobs they could do. Their eternity may depend on it. Now, I'm not one, (laughs) I'm not necessarily looking for a bunch of 10-year-olds helping, Because as you know, 10-year-olds are sometimes hard to work with. But for the sake of their eternity, I'll let them do a job that I could do better. I will let them do a job not as well as I can do it. Why? Because I was 10-year-olds, I was 10 years old once, and someone let me do a job not well. I preached my first sermon in front of adults when I was 15. I promise you it was not good. But someone took a chance on me, and you bet I'm going to take a chance on every single kid that's willing to. Every single one of them. Sometimes I ask kids to help, and it's like they just phase out or whatever. No, man, I'm telling you, when I was serving my parents, if I wasn't there, my parents were making sure I was there. You have a job to do. But I don't like doing it. Tough. Store up treasures in heaven, son. 
I did not grow up a pastor's kid. This is not like, oh, pastor's kid. No, no, we were just regular people sitting in the pews every single service. Every single time those doors were open, we were there. You know why? Because we opened the doors. What are the jobs? Parents, when you looked at the kids on this stage, if your kid was up here, I know you would never, ever pick your child to walk away from their faith. But are you intentionally doing anything to keep them in? Are you just hoping the church will pick up your slack and that a 30-minute lesson when you're able to get to church is enough? Church, are you expecting that the pastor or parents are doing fine and it isn't your place? It is your place. God commanded it. Jesus reiterated it. I'm charging you with it. That's the trifecta. I'm not, just for the record, I'm not putting myself in the place of the Holy Spirit. It's the trifecta, not the Trinity. Just, just to clarify. I do not believe this challenge should be too great or impossible. But even if it is, my God is the God of the impossible. I'm believing that this church can reach this community with effectiveness. I believe we can see a generation of people who dig into their faith deeper than ever, but it will take every single person sitting in this room. It will take parents. It will take volunteers. It will take intentional but casual conversations. You may never know the impact you'll have, but isn't asking a kid about their day worth it? Let's do better for the sake of our kids. Let's do better. Would you bow your heads? Dear God, I believe this is a sermon and a message that you need every one of us to hear. I believe this is something that is near and dear to your heart. And I've committed my entire life to serving children because of it. But God, I cannot do this alone, nor do I believe I've ever been expected to. Because I believe the challenge of raising godly kids falls squarely on their parents and on this church. And so God, I pray that you will equip us where we need to be equipped. You will challenge us when we get lazy. You will resource us. God, most of all, above everything, I pray that you give us a heart for children. I pray that any calluses that would allow us to look at 10 kids and even think about picking three to go to hell, even three kids we don't know or have never met, but that the face of every child that we do know will be on the faces of those we don't that we'll have a burden and a passion to reach the children around us. God, I pray for parents when they are weak and stumbling and they are lost and they feel hopeless, that you would put godly mentors around them, but that you would lift them up with your spirit. God, I pray for this church when we get lackadaisical about our mission to children, that you will once again challenge us to move from our seats to serve the kids in this church, recognizing that their eternity literally depends on the conversations we have with them and on the way we treat them. So let them not be ignored or forgotten, but we pray that they will truly be valuable members of this congregation and that this church will be focused on that mission. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, go tell a kid hi. Give him a hug. Love you guys. Thank you so much.